Um, I had a conversation right before the service, and um, it was kind of back to one of our growth group questions. If you guys aren't in a growth group, please try it. Just try it. Um, Sign up back there and uh, just try it. You get two weeks. The first two weeks, you can bounce in and out and uh, get a flavor for it. Encourage you to do that. But one of the questions a few weeks ago was about what Paul was talking about earlier in this letter, that we are living epistles or living letters. And what do people see when they come to this church for the first time? What, are, are we a loving church? Are we a welcoming church? Is this kind of somewhere you'd want to be? And I don't mean if you're coming from a different church, but I mean you're unchurched and you're just checking this out for the first time. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we do really well at that and then other times we kind of go in cycles and, and all that. But as we were worshiping this morning, I was, I was thinking even that, when you come in, if you're completely unfamiliar and we come in and we just start singing a mess of songs, what is that like? Because I remember being that. As, as a young guy going to church and thinking, like, why don't they have something for the guys to do during the singing part? You know, we could gather out back or something. And then as I grew in my faith and I became more of a mature Christian, I was willing to stand and lip sync, you know, to the songs. But I, I, I tell you, I can't explain it other than how Paul does in our chapter today and say that love compels us. You know, we, we understand the gift that we have from the Lord and how blessed we are to, to, to know him and have our lives radically changed by him. And, and maybe that's you, maybe that's not you yet, but God intervened in life somehow to get you here today, and, and that's pretty cool. So, um, first step, thank you, Penny, for that update. Uh, let me just... You saw the slide, right? They're doing a abortion um, pro-life ministry update, and you didn't see grotesque images. Um, they're not a ministry that shocks and horrifies people and says abortion is murder and then gets you to choose life and just dumps you, you know, on the street. And that's that's what I love most about First Step. All of the other things that they do and that the ministry continues. Whether you choose life or not, uh, they're concerned about you, they're concerned about your soul. So ask the Lord, pray about it, how you might um, come alongside them and help them or ask the Lord if maybe you should adopt some of these babies that they're rescuing. Uh, that's a cool ministry as well. So Second Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, I think we made it as far as the 15th verse when we were here together two weeks ago. Before we get into our text, let's just talk for a minute, okay? You guys are smart people. You're in church on a Sunday morning. Smarter than me because my notes are back on my desk. But you're in church Sunday morning. Actually, the Bible says that it is the fool who said in his heart that there is no God. So as far as I can tell, there's no fools among us. This morning, so you guys should be able to help me out. And I don't want pressure on any individual, so you guys can work as a team. Shut your cell phones off, I forgot to say that. Um, you can work as a team here, so you don't have to come up with a complete answer, but just contribute, okay, if you can. Can you guys tell me, those of you especially that have been 
uh, through 1 Corinthians with us and 2 Corinthians. Can you tell me some of the things that the Apostle Paul suffered in his ministry? Just shout them out. Shipwrecked, yeah? What else? Stoned. Uh, Let me explain that a little bit. (laughs) Okay, some of you are like, big deal, I've done that. Uh, Stoned with rocks. Had rocks thrown at him until the people throwing the rocks, not just like, yeah, we got him, but he's dead. Unconscious. Let's drag him outside of this city. And the rest of the story is really exciting because he like gets up and well, let's go back, you know. Okay, stoned, jailed, yeah, beaten with rods, yeah. Where's my cheaters? If you look in chapter six, I think of this letter, and chapter eleven, there's actually a list there. I heard one over here. Okay, whipped, very good. Falsely accused, had his feelings hurt. Persecuted by everybody. Snake bite, that's right. Bitten by a poisonous viper. She turned and looked, but we'll give it to her. Okay. Um, who has ever heard of Benjamin Franklin? Flew a kite in a lightning storm, that guy. Okay. Um, One of the founding fathers of our nation, right? Uh, Signer of the Declaration of Independence. And he was an inventor. Did you guys know that? You guys know any of his inventions? Bifocals. Who said that? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Bifocals. He did. Again, you can work as a team. What's that? Fire truck. I don't know about that. I'm just <laughs> what else? The Franklin stove. Ever hear that? That was him. What was it? Postal service. Wow, you guys are digging deep. Did he really? My opinion just. <laughs> Tanked. Um, we had bifocals. We had fire truck. Um, what was it? Electricity. Lightning rod. Actually, from flying the kite, he did. He did come up with the lightning rod. That was one of them. Um, your odometer. The odometer. He did that. Swim fins. Uh, where's my? Um, Nick would know this. Where's my, my men who are Little House on the Prairie fans? Remember when Mr. Olson was stocking the store and he couldn't reach something on the top shelf and he would grab that? It's called a long arm. He, Benjamin Franklin came up with that. It was a piece of wood with two others so he could grab books off the top of his library. Benjamin Franklin was also the first ambassador of the United States. I don't know if you guys knew that. Okay, so still... Working together, got to have sections here, um, and no looking it up. We'll, I'll show you that in a minute. Uh, how would you define that word ambassador? A representative, okay? Okay. 
advocate of sorts. Speak up. Whoever's, whoever's not speaking up, speak up. What do we got? Work as a team. Like a mediator between nations, okay. Any others? Okay, Webster's. I'm old school when it comes to dictionaries. 1828, okay. A minister of the highest rank employed by one prince or state at the court of another to manage the public concerns of his own prince or state in representing the power and dignity of his sovereign. Ambassadors, they spelled it different back then. Ambassadors are ordinary when they reside permanently at a foreign court or extraordinary when they are sent on a special occasion. They are also called ministers. Okay, so an ambassador's job is to go into a foreign land and solely represent the message and interests of the one by whom they've been sent. Okay, they don't represent themselves. Their personal interests aren't advanced. Can anybody, again, teamwork, tell me what might motivate or incentivize someone to be an ambassador? Why would somebody want that role? The, the United States ambassador to wherever. What, what might motivate somebody to be an ambassador? Prestige, absolutely. What was that one? Love for their king or country. What else? Believe in the message. Think, think modern, because those are all honorable reasons, but I'm, I'm guessing when I look at some of the recent ones, that might not be their motivation. Money, power, absolutely. Money, power, influence, yeah. Any others? I don't want to leave you out. Go team. Sorry about the Bruins stuff earlier. Um, So, Benjamin Franklin was the first ambassador of the United States. Did you have one, Joe? Were you raising your hand? Stretching your head. Okay. All right. Well, go for it. Um, He was the first U.S. ambassador received from a foreign government. Benjamin Franklin had gone to France, and he struggled with the native language, the people sounded different from him. They spoke an entirely different language, and he became a part of a world that he was not normally a part of. Uh, The culture was very different. He was well-liked. He was respected for the way that he lived his life. And on December 17th, 1777, nearly a year after he had been in France, it didn't look like he was making much political progress, at least not visibly. But then, Franklin engineered a huge diplomatic victory for us. Uh, The French foreign minister officially acknowledged the United States as an independent country, and Franklin was a hero. Anybody recognize this guy? I don't need his name, just position, who he 
is what he represents. Anybody have any idea? What's that? Did somebody guess an ambassador? <laughs> You're tracking with me. Everybody follow Sarah. He's the current Russian ambassador. The ambassador of Russia. I'm going to get him off the screen as soon as I can. But he's the current Russian ambassador to the United States. His name is Antolai Antonovov, and I hope I pronounced that wrong. But he admits, just in the last four or five days, admitted that he has not spoken to Vladimir Putin since he was appointed to his post in 2017. Very difficult to represent your king or your crown or, or your leader when you're not in communication with the one who sent you. So there are good ambassadors and there are bad. All of that to say, as, as we begin this morning, because of what Paul says in the latter part of our chapter this morning, he says that we are ambassadors for Christ. And, and I hope this challenges every single one of us here this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into our chapter. Father, we, Lord, thank you for getting us here. Lord, just, wow. Oh, man. Lord, please save that soul. Uh, Lord, thank you for getting us here. And, uh, Lord, it was a miracle for every single one of us, no matter how long we've been in church, what title, what position we may have. Uh, Lord, if we just wandered in, um, you've intervened with our life and the world and everything around us to get us here. So we trust that's for a reason and a purpose that you've got a message for us, Lord. And this isn't just us checking a religious box, but you want to say something to us. And uh, so speak, Lord, is what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I asked in my ramblings, what might motivate somebody to become an ambassador? And we came up with some pretty good things. Fire truck, oh wait, no. Uh, Representative, advocate, but prestige, money, power, you know, all of those things. Influence, pride wasn't listed, but I'm guessing that's part of it too. And then we talked about the sufferings of Paul, things that Paul endured, shipwrecked, being stoned, um, beaten, whipped, falsely accused, bitten by a poisonous viper. And and when I look at that list, I I think there's got to be a better reason for Paul to be an ambassador of Jesus than a little bit of prestige or some honor or pride Uh, I mean, the first time somebody threw rocks at me until they thought I was dead and dragged me out of the city, I think I'd turn in my ambassador bonnet or badge or whatever they give you and say, that's enough. You know, that's, that's not enough motivation to do that, to endure those things, if, if that's all I got out of being an ambassador. But Paul doesn't do that, and he actually gives us the only reasonable motivation for being an ambassador of Christ in chapter 5 at verse 14 of where we are this morning. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. That's Paul's reason. Not guilt, 
not obligation, or a sentence, a, a, a sense even of needing to repay a debt, like Jesus did something really cool for me, so I owe him. But it, it's even more than that. It's love. And Paul knew, if you were here with us last week on Resurrection Day, Paul knew what Peter knew, what we talked about last week. He knew what it was to be loved unconditionally. Not, not because you deserve it, but loved despite what you deserve. Paul knew who he was before Jesus, what his life was like then, um, and was now overwhelmed by the love that he received from Jesus. He could not help but tell everyone that would listen, and lots of others that wouldn't. You couldn't shut him up. His life was radically changed by Jesus. Paul was a new creation, a different person altogether. In the case of Paul, if you remember his story, that actually came with a name change as well. Right? He was Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of those who had left Judaism and began to follow Jesus until he himself experienced the love of Jesus. And then Paul couldn't help it. Because he received so much love from Jesus, it changed everything about him. And he started to love people like Jesus loves them. And he started to love Jesus' people. His whole life became about sharing Jesus with others and how the death of Christ could bring life to others. Verse 15, he says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's where we left off last time, two weeks ago in this chapter. Then Paul continues in 16 with a therefore. You know, because of this, therefore, because his death and resurrection made salvation possible to all those who would receive it, he writes, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Because the love of Christ has changed us, Completely, he says. We no longer see things according to the flesh. Remember, he talked about this back in chapter 4. We're no longer looking at the seen, but at the unseen. Not who they are, but who they could be in Christ. We no longer judge people based upon what we think, but that Jesus loved them enough to die for them. And that gives them value beyond what we may or may not see. Jesus actually talked about this, said the same in John chapter 7, verse 24. He says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So Paul could say that there was a time when we just judged Jesus even by the scene. You know, he was alive in that day when, when they judged Jesus by what they saw in the flesh. He, he walked the earth. He was creating a revolution. But now we see him so much more uh, in a greater sense through the Spirit of God, Paul says. Jesus said it was to our advantage that he go away and we could receive the Helper, that he would send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. This change that I talked about in Paul and in us, he talks about in the next verse, verse 17. I hope you guys know this verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Notice how it starts. Therefore, if anyone. And that's such an important part of this verse that I think too often gets looked over. Anyone means you. It, it means your prideful parent, your rebellious kid, your rotten brother, or your impossible boss. It's not by race or ethnicity or denomination or any of those things. Anyone means anyone. And this says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We're in Christ or we're out of Christ, according to the Bible. Paul, Paul actually brings that up like a hundred and something times. We're in Christ or we're not. In Christ, he is a new creation, it says. Paul actually takes that thought a lot deeper in his letter to the Ephesians. I'm just going to kind of read through part of this from Ephesians chapter 2 because he explains or he describes what we were like, whether we knew it or not, before we were in Christ. And if you're still in that spot, this is how the scripture defines where you are in life. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll start in the first verse. If you want to turn there, um, you can. Otherwise, we may or may not get it up on the screen here. I guess we're not going to. And he made alive, and he made you, and you he made. Let me do it a couple more times. And you he made alive. I'm so nervous in my own church. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom... Uh, also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. This is what drove us. This was our motivation. We conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, I love that, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, he goes on and he says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places, check it out, in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, verse 9, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, again, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by his hands. You can talk to Pastor Jim about that afterwards for explanation. Um, that at that time you were without Christ. Listen, at that time you were without Christ being aliens, is what Paul says, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ... Jesus, you who once were far off, 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So again, we are either in Christ or we're in the world and we're in the world system. At enmity, the Bible says, at war with God. But all of that changes when we accept the gift of salvation and you are now in Christ. Anyone that does that, according to what we just read, is now in Christ. There we go. Was that me or you? Oh, cool. Verse 17 again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you guys were more active when I included you. So work as a team, again, if you need to. Okay, can you guys tell me, when you look at this, what the word new there means? No Greek dictionary is necessary. It's not a trick trick question, but look at the verse. I just want to make sure that we're understanding the translation together. So again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What do we think new means there? What's that? Transformed. Born again. What else? Something totally different. Yeah. Free of our sins. Okay, think simpler. Not what? Not worn out. Okay. Anyone else? What you think new means there? Huh? Restored. Okay. Still looking for the right answer. <laughs> Work together, though. Nobody's wrong. You're all a team. <laughs> Trophies in the back. <laughs> New. Who said it? Yeah. What else? Nothing else. It means nothing else. It means new. You're a new creation. Brand new. Not rehabbed. Not renovated. America seems obsessed with the new and improved, right? We, watch, we have shows about flipping houses and um, books. Self-improvement books are always on the top sellers list. There are people that make a living. There are people that have never done anything successful in their own lives. They make a living being life coaches for other people. I don't get it. Being in Christ has nothing to do with being the best you or, or an improved you. It's a completely new you, according to the Bible. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become, help me, new. It's, it's that time of year again. What a beautiful day. Actually, it's a little late. I'm a little behind schedule, but it's that time of year when Ron tells me I'm supposed to um, prune my apple trees. You know, to uh, improve them, to strengthen them, thin them out. And it's not making them new. You guys know what they do to blueberry bushes every few years or used to do? Burn them. Uh, The University of Maine website has a section on there about thermal pruning. Okay, and it says, Pruning with fire offers many advantages that mowing does not. The heat produced by fire will not only kill the stem, but may also reduce the incidence of insects, diseases, and weeds. 
Insects overwintering on or near the surface of the soil may be killed by the fire's heat. These insects include, it doesn't matter. Um, the idea, though, is to have the fire intense enough that it kills the stem all the way to the ground. Becky, if I'm wrong, don't correct me. Okay, I don't mess up the whole video thing. For those of you that don't know, Becky has a master's degree, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's in blueberry stuff, right? Blueberry stuff. Master's degree. So there's this other thing that's often missed in this verse. It is what is, right? When you read that, if anyone is in Christ, he is. that's, That's what it is. Or it doesn't say uh, sometimes this happens. Or, or being a new creation in Christ is a possible side effect of being in Christ. It says if you're in Christ, he is a new creation. So it is what happens to us, but it's also the evidence that it did happen. That when you came to the cross, it wasn't just an emotional response or a pipe dream of yours. Being a new creation is the evidence that an actual transaction took place there. And and I'll take it a step further. And like what happened to Paul might hurt some of your feelings. But if you're not a new creation, you don't know what it means to be in Christ. And I'm not saying it's always instantaneous or that it doesn't take time or that we'll never sin again or, or make mistakes. And Nicole did this morning. Yeah. I, actually, I just did right now myself. <laughs> yes, I did. But what I'm saying, let's focus. Come on. Is that you don't know what it is to be in Christ if you're able to continue on in habitual sin. That's completely against what Christ taught us. You can't be in Christ and refuse to forgive. You can't be in Christ and continue on in sexual sin and think, well, that's that's just where Jesus and I differ a little. He says any sexuality expressed outside of the covenant relationship of marriage between a man and a woman is sin. Same sex, opposite sex, internet sex, whatever. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. He tells us not to be unequally yoked. He tells us to care for widows and orphans. He tells us, as much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. To love our enemies. If you're getting ready to correct me, like, well, didn't Paul say some of those things? Remember, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Who who is the Word? Jesus, in Christ, is a a new creation. Again, it is what is. It's what actually happens. And it's the evidence that it did happen. Your friends, your family, the, the neighbor you used to argue with and throw your trash over on his side, or uh, your employee you used to give the stink eye to, they can see that old things have passed away. And that all things have become new because you've become new. Check this out. 
some of you have been trying to find your ministry fit. Right? Where can I serve? What can I do? Where is the greatest need? And I'll, I'll tell you, it is out there. Actually, children's ministry. But out there, really, in this world that we live in. Verse 18 Paul says this, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. We get that. That's what last weekend was all about. But then look what else it says. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We were not in Christ, right? We were at enmity or at war with God. But then God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And how did he do that? The cross. Right in 1 John chapter 4, we read this. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation. The, the perfect, the complete, the atoning, redemptive, uh, reconciliatory substitute for us. The only way. Remember last week, as, as Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. There was no other way. Jesus was not a a sinner that died for his sins. But because Jesus was without sin, he was able to take on sin and be the propitiation for ours. There's no other way for us to reconcile with God. God sent his son Jesus to die a substitutionary death for us. In this is love. What Paul was talking about back in verse 14 when we started this, this love compels us. A little bit more. Verse 18. Again, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You guys understand what that verse means? The ministry of reconciliation that Jesus started has been handed off to us. Right? The baton has been passed. He, he's committed this ministry to all of us that are in Christ. To reconcile lost sinners to a holy God that loves them. But how? Right? I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless. If, if we, we nailed ourselves up to a cross, we wouldn't save anyone. It would just be stupid. Paul tells us in verse 20, now then, here's how. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Go ahead and put me on verse 20, please. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That, guys, is to be the message of our lives. That we wouldn't sit idly by while the world around us is perishing. 
We are ambassadors here, your circle, your life, for Christ. The Bible says that we are not of this world. Do you know that? The Bible describes us as aliens or foreigners. It tells us that our citizenship is where? In heaven. Even now. Christians. I'm talking to Christians when I say this. The Bible tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. So we aren't to occupy here. right? We're to inf- infiltrate. We're to impact the world. Um, we're not trying to fit in. We represent a different kingdom. Why would they want to be like us if we are just like them? If we don't have something that they don't have? Our message as ambassadors that we carry is an invitation. Actually, more than that, right? It's a pleading, Paul says. We implore you on Christ's behalf. I'm an ambassador. You're an ambassador. Our job is to speak on his behalf. Please be reconciled to God. So, Christian, if, if that's you looking to step up, um, looking for a ministry, I have one for you. You, know, you are an ambassador for Jesus wherever God has you in this strange land. Christian, who's not looking for a ministry or a place to step up, when Paul says, now we, here in this verse, he's talking to you too. Verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me save you like six months of theology classes and soteriology classes. This verse right here, verse 21, is the doctrine of how we can be saved, how God made that possible. There's just one way, and this is how God did it. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Uh, Chapter 6, real quick, not the whole thing. Um, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, listen, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I I pray that's true for some of you. Those of you that are Christians, we are to be workers together with Christ. This is what Paul charges us with. Workers, not not fans, not listeners or students or admirers of Jesus. We're called to duty. He passed this ministry of reconciliation to us and we're to work together with him now, today. The very last thing that Jesus said to his disciples. If you, you don't have to turn there, but the, the last page in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I actually hope to have some visual reminders of that around here in the next couple of weeks. I want to be reminded of it every day. That out there is our mission field. We're ambassadors out there. To be reminded of our calling. 
I know we've gone long. I got like a, a minute of what I got to say. I don't think there's a bigger advocate of growth groups in this church than me. I love them. I, th- I think we need them for discipleship. Um, I think we need each other in that way, relationally. But I'm going to say something. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I, I don't want those to make us become like other churches have become, and that this is a social club, or that we're investing all of our time trying to build our Christian community and isolate from the world instead of infiltrate the world. Church should be like a, a locker room, right? We go out there and we, we mix it up and then we come in and, and we, we get a pep talk, we get encouraged and we go back. Actually, locker room, like a foxhole. There, there's a war going on. And we're out there every day and we're in different places and you guys are in spots I would never be welcomed in. They don't want to listen to me. God put you there. He doesn't need another Brian. He would have made one. He puts you there. And when we gather here, it's like a foxhole. We come in and we, we get our wounds patched up. We get some nourishment, some encouragement. And we go back out to our mission, to our calling. And, and if, if this place is about building our Christian community, either you're in the wrong place or I am. That's not what I'm looking for as we gather. Infiltrate. Don't isolate. Be involved in your community. Sign up for Little League. Do different things like that. Don't skip church every Sunday. Um, You're teaching your kids something entirely different doing that. But take every opportunity in this world to not be of it, but remember, you're, you're a foreigner here. You're an ambassador. When an ambassador goes to a foreign land, he studies the people, he learns the language. He's not one of them, but he does live among them. And he entertains them, and he tries to understand how they think and, and what they think about the one that he represents. And he shares with them the message that the one that has sent him has given him to share. Uh, a guy named Sam Sam. Chan, in his book Evangelism in a Skeptical World, says this, God uses our humanity, our relationships, community, hospitality, communication, experiences, emotions, existential cries, and cultural texts to communicate his gospel. He uses relational evangelism like Penny talked about. It's not an in and out, it's a relationship with these people. So, Let the love of God compel you to implore the world around you to be reconciled with God. It's their most desperate need. Okay? We'll pray. If all of this is a mess in your head and you're not in Christ or you haven't been reconciled in God, um, we want you to do that. Today's the day of salvation. So um, I'll be up front. The other pastors will be up front, their wives, elders. So come on up and get some prayer and take care of business. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this reminder that um, we're called to bigger things, Lord, than, a, than what I think we've been doing. Uh, there's, 
there's a single purpose for our life that you've called us to. Uh, help us to see people like you see them, Lord, that um, you, you said they were worth dying for. You gave your life for them that they could be saved. And Lord, we can't just walk by. We can't just let them perish without sharing the good news that you've given us, that you've shown us in your word. Lord, make us good ambassadors. That's, that's a work you need to do. Just help us to be obedient to it. And Lord, if there's anyone that um, online or, or listening here that hasn't done this, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, don't let them rest in, until things are settled with you. That they can be forgiven and clean and, and the weight of sin can be removed and they can be brand new. And Lord, the baggage and the chains of sin... Old things are passed away, and they can become brand new. Let it be, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.